Hi, I'm George Tekbachev. Welcome back to the Eastern Target Archery Podcast. Serious subject today. USADA announced today that uh, Brady Ellison has tested positive for a prohibited substance, but they were quick to say that he ingested it without his own fault or negligence. And as a result, Brady does not face any kind of sanction for that test. According to Travis Tigert, the CEO of USADA, if an athlete ingests a prohibited substance from a completely innocent source, such as contaminated medication, meat, or water, and there's no effect on performance, there should not be a violation or a public announcement. There have now been more than 25 of these tragic, no-fault cases since 2016, and the injustice keeps happening. On behalf of athletes, USADA will continue to urge the World Anti-Doping Agency to reform the system to be more fair, effective, and efficient. Now, that is tantamount to USADA apologizing to Brady for getting him into this situation in the first place. turns out that back on October 7th of 2020, Brady provided an out-of-competition sample And if you didn't know, uh, USADA can knock on the door of any competing athlete and ask for a sample anytime they want. It turns out that Brady tested positive for hydrochlorothiazide, which we'll call HCTZ going forward. Uh, That's a specified substance as a diuretic or masking agent, and it's prohibited, any amount is prohibited at all times, under the USADA protocol for Olympic and Paralympic movement testing. It's also banned by World Archery. Uh, All of them have adopted the World Anti-Doping Code and the World Anti-Doping Agency prohibited list. But when when USADA investigated just how this ended up in Brady, Brady was able to show that uh, he had a permitted oral prescription medication. That permitted medication, which Brady takes at the direction of a physician, did not have HCTZ in it, on the label, or it, it just doesn't belong in his, in his medication. But a detailed lab analysis found that the medication that Brady was taking was contaminated with that drug at a level consistent with Ellison's positive test. Now, Brady does not have any kind of uh, sanction, no ineligibility period, uh, no competitive results to disqualify. But you mentioned, uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, he didn't really actually have to say anything, and USADA didn't have to put out a statement. So why is Brady making this public? Well, he's on a mission, a mission to try to help others not go through the virtual seven weeks of hell that he and his family have been going through. Let's talk to him about it now. Brady Ellison, injustice is absolutely what you've dealt with for the last several weeks. And I, I, as my personal friend, I, when I found out about this, I was just sick. Uh, it, it, it has to be a tiny reflection of what you've gone through. Um, without, without getting into the nitty gritty details, tell us about how you dealt with this when you found out from USADA that, um, that there was a question as to, you know, uh, the test result. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I got the failed test and then looked up the, immediately tried to get in contact with the right people to try to find a lawyer and then start researching the drug and if it could be where it could be, what it does. And through that little bit of research within about 15 minutes, kind of realized that this can be in a lot of things and that there's been a lot of athletes that have been found at no fault. Uh, There was actually an athlete's press release that went out the day I was notified. They had a press release at a no fault finding for the same thing and uh, pretty much just got a lawyer, uh, had a lawyer by the next day and had my medicine to the lab that day, that next day. Um, to try to start getting it tested to make sure it was in there and that we can get a, uh, a no fault on, on this test. Yeah, we can talk a little more about what no fault means and all that sort of thing. But, you know, let's, let's understand one thing. Um, when a drug company mixes up a prescription drug, 
there could be cross-contamination from other drugs in the equipment or the methods that they use. You know, sometimes if you look at a food item, it'll say made in a plant that also processes peanuts because not, not because that food is supposed to have peanuts in it, but because it could have touched something that touched peanuts that could show up in a quantity that could set off a peanut allergy on somebody, you know, just to, just to throw out an example that people may be familiar with. And it seems like something like this is a similar phenomenon, but somehow it's considered acceptable in the drug industry to have these low levels of contaminants. Yeah. And I mean, it's when you like actually start looking at the numbers, it's extremely low. So it's, uh, good medical practice is 10 ppm, which parts per million. Uh, yeah, parts per million. And so that that really equates to one milligram per hundred grams of solid substance um, is allowed. And that's like actually when I started looking at it is quite a spectral <laughs> amount. Yeah, that really is tiny. Allowed to be in there. And then you look it up and there's research that was done um, on one of the first cases of this where they put uh, 2.5 micrograms. So we're talking even teensier here, right? Thousand, thousand times less. Yeah. Um, in a placebo pill and uh, tested the urine afterwards and the the urine was at like 16 UL a liter or whatever their measurement is at 2.5 micrograms. I tested at 0.05, not 16. So we're talking like just the USADA test, which is good is so finite and so precise that it can detect. I'm at this point thinking almost anything. And, uh, so it's just, yeah, it's just crazy that, you know, that little bit that can cross over that's allowed still, you know, glows bright on the, the drug screening. Yeah, the, the sophistication of the screenings, that sort of thing. In the effort to try to catch the people who are deliberately doing this kind of thing has been ramped up over the years. Um, but, you know, that's not really the issue here with you. Well, the issue here with you is you were a victim of circumstances where you are taking a prescription medication that you take for an existing condition that you have a therapeutic use exemption for, for many years now. Uh, it's oh, fairly actually, common knowledge. Yeah, actually I don't have a TUE for it, the therapeutic use exemption because I don't need it for this drug. Gotcha. This drug okay. isn't considered any type of performance enhancing or anything. Therefore there's no need for the exemption. Right. So the point is that you're on a you're on a medication for a pre-existing condition that involves um, I don't know if you want to get into it or not, but, you know, it involves your, your thyroid. Yeah. A lot of folks are actually in the same boat as you. A lot of folks who compete in our sport are in the same boat and yeah. um, they're on this medication because it's allowed. It always has been allowed. Um, yeah. But there was a tiny I mean, we're talking if you if you want to throw a you take a five gallon Home Depot orange bucket and you fill it with sand, this would be like one or two of those grains of sand in that whole bucket, maybe yeah. even less, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you had nothing to do with it, which is what just blows my mind. You had to hire a lawyer and you had to prepare to deal with this thing on the basis of something you had nothing to do with. It's crazy to me, but at the same time, I, I get it. You know, doping is an issue in other sports. Fortunately, yeah, less than ours. Yeah, it is crazy and stuff. And I think it's it's pretty apparent when you read the public statement from USADA that USADA isn't exactly happy that this happens to athletes either. Yeah, it's this is as close like to an apology. Like, this is as close to an apology to Brady Ellison as anything. Uh, you know, that's how I read it when I, when yeah, I look at this and, thing. You know, they're, you know, they don't like that the athletes have to go through this. They know that, you know, this this is happening more and more often. And, you know, they make a statement that they're working on WADA would try to get some things changed in there. And, you know, they kind of stress the fact that, you know, we this sucks. We don't like this and we're not 
you know, it, it's not something that we want to continue to have happen, but under current rules, this is the process. Yeah. And, you know, the process worked for you in this case, but, you, you know, again, the stress that you were going through with Toya expecting a baby who's, who's thankfully here now and doing well and um, all that stuff, this all kicked in at the end of October. Uh, it just turned your world upside down for that period of time, all because there was contamination in a drug that was approved. And that is scary on a certain level that that could happen to anybody in our sport well, or in sport. It, yeah. And it's, it's terrifying on a couple of things because two, um, you know, I've gotten stories from uh, people outside of sport that still live in a doping type world for their oh, job, yeah. like, like firemen, police or firefighters, that kind of thing. Yeah. That, that have had this happen to them and they've had to get lawyers and doctors to fight to keep their jobs. Yeah. Um, it can be a difficult thing. I mean, you know, the presumption, you know, if you, if you have a, a positive test, it's Napoleonic law. You have to prove you're innocent. You're not presumed innocent till proven guilty. Well, that, and, you know, think about this situation. What happens if I, you know, I got test results back almost 30 days after my test. It was 21 days. Exactly. You know, well, what happens if I ran out of my prescription in that 21 days and I didn't have anything to test? Right. I'm looking right. At a what if you used up the whole thing? You'd have no proof that you were innocent in this. And that's very scary. But let's, let's put some of that aside for now and talk about why you decided to make this public because you were found completely innocent. They never had to issue a statement as far as I'm aware. And you didn't have to either. You chose to put this situation in the sunlight because I think that you have in mind the idea that you can help a lot of people with your story on this. So, so maybe explain what your rationale is for, for coming out and telling people about this experience. Um, two two things on why I wanted to come out with it. One, um, I, I wanted to come and say it and show everyone in case it was ever, you know, it, it is on file. So if anyone ever said, oh, you have a doping violation, why didn't you say it? Like, what are you hiding? Like, I wanted to come out and publicly state my story um, sure. to, to tell everyone, hey, look, this is what happened. I'm not a doper. I've never thought about it, anything. But also, I just feel actually quite passionate about this, that this is something that I've been in the doping world for a long time. I've gone through a ton of education. And this is one education piece that we're that that I feel like we're kind of missing. And I don't really believe that's on anyone's fault at the moment. Um, it, it's my understanding starting the conversations that I have, which we're, we're talking in the last week. Um, which is when you found it, out you were absolved. Yeah, pretty much. Um, is that this is a, a newer problem. Like at first, like it happened a couple of times and then it, it's kind of becoming more and more of a thing. Um, so it's just trying, I think that there would be education pieces coming out. I just want to try to maybe light the fire a little bit more. But, you know, with the games coming up, this is too important of something right now for athletes not to be aware of. Uh, there's a lot of athletes out there that take supplements. There's a lot of athletes out there that are on medicine, even even Tylenol or over-the-counter stuff, right? And yeah, it could also have traces of some of these things. Exactly. And, you know, my biggest message is, is if you put something in your body, save it so you have something to test because it's not worth going in competition or doing something and finding this. So if you, um, if you without, have a prescription, a if you have a prescription with a supply for say 90 days, which in the time of COVID is kind of a standard thing. And you have, say there are 300 pills in there, save one of them or talk to your doctor about getting a couple extras. In order yeah. To like, I mean, 
save save five or six to be tested to be honest if you if you can like save as save as many as you can and if you can't talk to your doctor or your pharmacist about trying to get a couple more tell them the situation and see if you could get to work with somebody to to have something that can save your butt yeah, we're literally and, and, talking about saving some of the pills, maybe putting a date on a bag, putting them exactly. aside. So if something like this comes up, you can have some proof. Hey, this is what I took. Go ahead, test it. Let me know if you know we're we're good. And that's exactly. pretty much what happened with you. You were you were kind of lucky though. You weren't intentively keeping extras of what you had. You just hadn't run out of your particular batch, right? Yeah, it, it it's exactly what happened, and. I got a new prescription and, and got on a new prescription like three days before this test. So, you know, I was really close to, to, you, you know, could have used not, them up. not having a prescription, but who knows, you know, that other batch I had may have been clean. You know, I've been right. taking this medicine since I was 17. I probably have over 80 tests with it in my system. And this is the first one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. just kind of spooky. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that uh, I, I, I've been in this game even longer than you. Yeah. Um, I was probably being drug tested when you were still in diapers. <laughs> <laughs> but those tests weren't as sophisticated and they were looking for, you know, more obvious things like beta blockers and uh, later on alcohol. But um you know, for sure, you're looking at a situation where the tests have become more sophisticated. The real problem I see is this would never show up on any of the ingredient lists that you'd look into. You know, if you, if, you, if you had an ingredient list for what was in your prescription drug, it would not have been on that list. You would never have had a clue that it was in there. Exactly. And that's what's, because you know, that's part under that 10 ppm good practice. Yeah. You know, it's well, an allowable amount. Yeah, good practice is a great phrase, but at the end of the day, uh, so you know this this does touch on something. I, I was speaking with Tom Dillon, um, who we will talk to in the new year after WA and you have put together a, a program to help with education on this subject. But and we'll yep. talk about that later. But um, Tom was telling me, and, and as you know, Tom served at USA at WADA for many years, the World Anti Doping Agency, before he rejoined World Archery um, over a decade ago, and. Uh, Tom is putting this on the feet of the regulators, the people who regulate what the drug companies can have in their, in their uh, potions. And, you know, he really feels that there's issues with what the FDA in the United States approves, but it's not just a U.S. problem. It's a global problem because some of these drugs are distributed globally and uh, there's no telling what's in them. And none of us owns a mask spectrometer to be able to analyze this thing before we uh, ingest it. And that's a, that's a real issue and something that I believe that USADA and WADA and now Brady Ellison and certainly WA are going to have some things to say about uh, going forward because something like this, if it were a little closer to the Olympic cycle, man, I can only imagine what, was going through, what would be going through your head. It was bad enough that you had to compete with this hanging over you. Um, you know, mental game wise, I, I can only imagine what it must have felt like. Yeah, it it was tough. Like it just takes all drive and stuff out of you. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited. Um, I wasn't sure how the world was going to take this, and so far it's been like overwhelmingly supportive, and also you know a lot of people thanking me. With you know, I had no idea that this was a thing and so i feel like the education has started a little bit we just need to try to get it on a bigger scale and a bigger a bigger thing and i was so extremely excited when tom immediately i mean it was i don't think i'd barely barely released my statement when he had emailed me and said hey like, I'm proud of you. Let's, let's get together. Let's do this. Like, we're going to put a conference call together and do something. And I was like, awesome. Like, this is exactly, exactly the start I wanted. I'm also going to try to talk with USADA about it. Um, 
interestingly enough, I've started a conversation with with a, a pharmacy, and there's some promise there for for maybe maybe something in the future. Um, we'll have to see where that goes, but um, if they can do maybe what I'm hoping they can do, we might be able to get some good things going on that front as well. So, like, there's a lot of things in the pipeline, and, you know, I'm almost curious, you know, where I want to talk with USADA, because this 10 ppm thing um, <clears throat> that I read was uh, USA and and European Union. So I'm curious to see if the European Union has changed and we need to fall under what they do or if this is standard practice for kind of everyone. Um, but there yeah, has yeah. to be... Leveling the playing field would be a nice thing, right? Presuming yeah. That and, that's part of the issue here. And there has to be... There has to be some type of science with the numbers because they have to have between USADA and WADA there has to be enough of tests for, say, masking agents in general, um, diuretics that all kind of do the same thing to where if the pH level in a sample of your urine is super high, like you're not diluted, and the test level of the medicine that you were positive for is super low, and you have a medicine listed that you said that you were taking during the time, like there has to be some type of pattern to all of these tests that maybe we can put in as a rule that's saying, if your pH is above this and your test sample is at a very small amount below this and you have a prescription medicine, not a supplement, but a prescription medicine or over-the-counter medicine that you declared that this is going to be a non-issue because we have enough results to realize that this is it. And it's in such a small amount that there's no way that it would have been beneficial at all for a masking agent or why it's illegal. And yeah, kind of an automatic fail-safe. Yeah, that's something that I kind of want to talk to them about, both USADA and WADA, and see if there is a quantifiable difference between these things to where we can say for sure, like all the athletes fall under this category and then just hopefully maybe make a small rule change or allowance for this kind of things to where if it happens to an athlete, they're not even notified. It's just like, boom, it's good. Or they're well, notified. one of the factors. Yeah. One of the factors at the root of this is the zero allowed level i mean that is an absolute zero and you know you can breathe air and take in a certain amount of stuff that might possibly end up on a list somewhere i'm not kidding well, i mean that's so, you know well i had a i had an rn tell me um she was like an intensive care rn and she said that there's several several things in medical journals saying that tap water city tap water contain can contain enough medicine to cause problems in patients. And, you know, that's kind of what she studies and looks into. And I researched, and there's a couple of cases where, um, doping cases where they set in city tap water and tested the tap water and found the banned substance in a tap water and was able to get off on a no band or no fault. Right. Um, so, like, even that is terrifying. So, our, I, think, I think it's just a combination of the world that we live in um, and also our, the testing standards the testing standards and how they test are becoming so efficient that they could trace the things that are in our body can be so small that they could still find it. And they're going to have to, at some point in time, I believe more in the near future than later, start allowing for minimum amounts in almost everything in very small amounts, because it's going to get to a point in time with, you know, how everyone's producing food and with water contamination and cross contamination and in medicines that 
we're always going to be having something in our system that we don't know about. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot of people tested on positive on steroids from eating beef and chicken from certain places. Yeah. Some of those are among the 25 athletes that USADA referred to um, when they were talking about, you know, the sort of uh, the unjust and completely innocent sources, contaminated yep. medication, meat, water, you know, but again, you know, if you talk to Travis Tiger, the CEO of USADA, he says, if an athlete ingests a prohibited substance from a completely innocent source, like you did, such as contaminated medication, meat or water, and there is no effect on performance, there should not be a violation or a public announcement. The problem with not having a public announcement is it doesn't do what Brady Ellison's trying to do right now. It doesn't, these other 25 cases, I never heard of them. We didn't get educated. We didn't learn this, this horrible truth that there could be some of this stuff in everyday things that we eat and drink. And you, you're doing us a favor here, Brady, in spite of the flack that you may have taken, which thankfully seems people got it right away, which is rare for social media. But uh, <laughs> it, it sure seems to me that you're doing us a heck of a favor here. Well, I'm, I'm trying. And like I said, this is really important to me. And I'm excited. This is all new. And I have a bunch of very grand ideas. And we'll see, <laughs> see what happens with it all. But I'm excited to get get the ball rolling and to do a couple of these things, you know, done a couple of podcasts and a couple of interviews. So already starting to get the word out there on just what I know we can do to help save somebody. And then hopefully we can roll out the bigger education piece to go to all athletes and even everyone that is in the doping world um, for their jobs and then figure out, you know, what we can do and where we go from here. Can I just interject one thing? Cause you know, in our podcast, we never stay on topic for very long. Um, <laughs> I am really honored that we've got the first podcast appearance that I know of, of Ty Cooper Ellison. We can hear him in the background there a couple of <laughs> times. <laughs> I, 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 you ought to throw him on. <laughs> yeah. He's uh we just made history here, folks. Yeah. He, he's a, He's a noisy little thing. He never really complains or cries, but he definitely likes to talk and grunt and pretty much every movement is associated with some type of noise. He's an expressive little <laughs> fella, huh? Yeah. So let me, let me just reel it in for a second and bring it back to the Ellison family, you and Toya and now Ty Cooper. Uh, you know, Ty came into this world while you were still dealing with this thing. Um, and I can only imagine that that must have been an island of happiness in the middle of a tough time uh, um, well, for you and Toya. It, it was when we knew that he was okay. So he came four weeks early. And, wow. we, and after talking with the doctor, we both really believe, and the doctor thinks so too, that the stress of all of this um, caused him to come early. Uh, yeah, because Toya's Toya's water broke uh, four weeks early, and her body wasn't even ready. She had no contractions. She had no anything. And, so it's while you uh, guys were in the height of the stress over this situation. Yeah, it was. It was within two weeks of us finding out. Um, and it, when we got to the hospital, they almost didn't take us. We almost had to go from where we live to Phoenix because they don't. It, they don't take premature babies up here because they don't, if something's wrong with their lungs then they have to air back the child. Uh, so Ty was kind of on the borderline of being early, huh? Uh, yeah. And so uh, they talked with the doctors and stuff and the doctor said, I'm comfortable doing it here because he seems to be measuring. I don't think he's going to have a lung problem. Um, so uh, we were able to have them up here and then, you know, Toya's body wasn't ready and they put her on Pitocin, uh, which makes you have contractions and they put her to the maximum level, uh, in the first like 12 or 14 hours. And her contractions really still hadn't even started with all of that in her system. I mean, we were still playing cards. Uh, we were still talking and it wasn't, 
you know, it wasn't really doing anything and they had to take her off of it, give her a break and then restart it. And then um, 40 hours later, Ty came. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it was just, it it was a very stressful situation all in all. And then we didn't know, uh, you know, we weren't expecting Ty to come four weeks early. There was no indications that he would come early uh, because Toya thankfully had pretty, pretty awesome pregnancy, no complications, no anything, didn't really get sick, was just had one of those dream pregnancies. And then all of a sudden it was four weeks early and all of this. So right at the height of the maximum stress from this external situation. Yeah. But so, but he came out perfectly fine and happy and healthy. And he was a little small, but not tiny. Uh, He was five pounds, 14 ounces. And uh, now he's a little chunk. He's like over eight pounds already. And wow, <laughs> doing good. <laughs> you getting any sleep? Uh, I definitely get more than Toya because I'm a hard <laughs> yeah. sleeper, and I don't have to get up and feed every two hours. Um, two you know, hours. Right. Now, <laughs> right, right now it. Right now, it's the mom show. He he feeds every two, two and a half hours. That's his schedule, and it hasn't really changed yet. But uh, as soon as he decides that, you know, sleep is maybe more important than food in the middle of the night, then we'll start getting a little bit more sleep. Well, at that growth rate, I imagine he's uh, he's been uh, packing it away for a little while now, and 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 hopefully he'll get into a sleep mode a little bit more as the weeks progress yeah. but uh, <laughs> it's fantastic it's all right i mean we were we were prepared for everything that comes with with having a little one and a lot of people say that you know oh you know you won't sleep much at the beginning and the our real friends are like you won't sleep for 18 more years so just get ready for it <laughs> <laughs> it's, just wait till he starts asking for the keys <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, Brady, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for you too. That is fantastic. And uh, at the same time, I, 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 I only feel a little bit more sadness over the fact that you've had to, you and Toya both really have had to go through this kind of experience because you're honestly the last guy that deserved this kind of thing. Uh, but like so many things you've done in the past, you're taking a negative and turning it into a positive for a lot of people. And I think that that speaks very strongly to what you bring to our sport. That's why Tom Dillon is proud of you. That's why everybody at WA is supporting you. That's why everybody at your sponsors are supporting you. And, and that's why your millions of fans around the world uh, know that when they look at Brady Ellison, they're investing their, their fanhood into somebody who's worth a damn. And I, I really mean that. I really appreciate what you're doing. Well, I, I appreciate that, George. And, you know, it's funny when, when I started this, it, all I really wanted to do is shoot my bow. And that's still really all I wanted to do. And I never expected or, or necessarily really wanted to be in the spotlight all the time. But it, because I am like, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that, that I could use this spotlight in this opportunity because it was given to me um, to, to educate and try to make the world a better place, even if it's just in our little small archery community, just you know, try to just try to bring something good to the world if I can. Well, I would say that you have uh, not just done that in the past; you're doing it now, and you'll continue to do it in the future. Hey, let's shift gears. Uh, you did really well uh, at the uh, world indoor series with a rockin' score um, of a uh, two points off clean, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. WA scoring. And uh, so it's clear that um, your preparation for Tokyo 2020 in 2021, as Steve Anderson likes to call it, um, <laughs> is, is, uh, is continuing on the path that you were on. If we, if we reset the clock, this is the path you were on one year ago, as you were preparing for what we were all hoping was going to happen in, uh, in July of this past year, and now will happen in July of this upcoming year. Um, tell us about your preparation for the games uh, as it stands today, 
and um, where where you are, uh, and then you know we can talk a little bit more about some of the things going on in Tokyo. So, um, really, you know, I was I had taken a little bit more me time this year, and this whole entire season, I really tried uh, several things that have been in my notebook that I was just kind of a little too hesitant to try on the on years that we needed to win to stay ranked and stuff. And since this year was kind of a, a throwaway year, the rankings didn't mean anything for making teams and all of that. I really played with some stuff and realized that most of my ideas were extreme failures and that what I normally do is the best option for me. <laughs> so I have in other words, instead of changing here. things, do what you've been doing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so well, go figure. <laughs> yeah. So going going forward, I I have no doubts or anything that there's something out there better tuning wise or something that I've already figured out for myself. So I have all that out of the way, and I have a pretty good game plan going forward, equipment wise. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I was actually shooting quite a bit and getting ready to to make the run and then all this happened and then just all motivation and everything left. Oh yeah. I, can only imagine. I, I tried to shoot a little bit through, through this, but I just, I couldn't. Um, and really just kind of focused on trying to help Toya as much as I could. And I had no desire to shoot. And then I decided that I wanted to go have some fun. So I built a traditional bow with stabilizers and sights and all of that, you know, <laughs> because I tried to shoot, I tried to shoot bare bow for a couple of days or like just straight traditional instinctive. And I decided that uh, those guys are a lot better than I am. And I don't have the patience to stand there all day and miss and get better. <laughs> so I went to, what I know, but your, but your arrow finding skills would have been exercised in a big way. Oh yeah. Um, I was definitely trying, yeah, definitely got good at finding arrows. Um, but so, I mean, after all, the, Brady, that's something you haven't had to do in a long time. So, you know, yeah. And finding so, the green, finding the green ring. How, how, how many years has it been <laughs> since you found the green ring? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I feel like every once in a while it still happens. I always say it's not my fault, it's conditions. But, you know, we all make mistakes still. But uh, anyway, the the bow I set up is like 73 or 74 pounds on my finger at full drop. Holy smokes. And so um, it it doesn't hurt my fingers at all. And actually, I was kind of like, I'll build some calluses. I'll build a little bit of strength, but I shouldn't hurt myself because I'm only going to be at full draw for a second. You yeah, know, no clicker. Which is which is also probably why I missed a lot. Um, and uh, so, like, I built strength really quick, but I didn't build my fingers up at all, which I was really surprised about. Um, and so, like, my re- I shot that for, like, a week, and my strength was, like, just – it got to where I, like, I could barely pull the bow back into it. I was like, why are you shaking so much? And I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. Like, we're good. <laughs> 74 pounds (laughs) and then you know got to where like I still shake but I had a lot more control and then I was like well you know I still have an obligation to the team to the Lancaster team Jack and Casey like I need to practice so that's right just to just to clarify you're shooting that as a team round for the WA indoor series you and Jack and Casey uh, as the Lancaster team right yes Anyway, go on. Sorry. And, um, you know, so I set up an indoor boat and I set up, I set up some arrows exactly like how I shot, set up my 2512s last year. Uh, I went and I, I, Braden told me last year that I could actually set up a 2315 and cut them almost identical to a 2512 and they should react really close to the same. And so uh, I've never really tried that. And so I went up and I set it up and then I got, I'm shooting the, the extra long limb 
uh, right now. So I'm shooting a 73 inch bow inside. And uh, I, I just set the bow up and I didn't even shoot a bear shaft. I just kind of started shooting it. And my first round, I shot 299 and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And then Absolutely. the next the next day I shot like a 298 and a 299 and a 297. And I'm like, yeah, this might work pretty well. And then I shot it for a couple of days and kind of got back into the rhythm of shooting. And then last week before the tournament, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I only shot tens. I think I ended up shooting seven, six hundreds in a row. And I'm like, huh, this is quite awesome. I've never done that before. And so, and then, and then like Thursday and Friday and then Saturday, I didn't shoot another 300, but the bow was still shooting awesome, like 298s, 299s. And so went to the Indoor World Series. I found out Thursday night that uh, my medicine had tested positive and that we were all good to go. And then it was like rolling into the weekend, like, oh, life is good. And just showed up and shot happy, which was nice and it was easy. And yeah, so I'm I'm full of motivation right now. I kind of, I guess you could say I, I put a stopper in in everything or momentum that I had from 2019 and didn't really apply it anywhere this year. And then it's been all bottled up and ready to come out from now on. So it's good Quite timing. Exciting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, seven three hundreds or six hundreds in a row or whatever it was. I mean, that's that's uh, well, you're making it yeah, look with, normal. With, you know, uh, I mean, it's not, but you're making it look that way after what you did in Vegas with, last year in particular. <laughs> yeah, and that's with the World Archery, you know, legal setup with twenty three, oh, yeah. not twenty five. So, right, you know, no one's gonna say I'm cheating shooting too big of an arrow now. Uh, no, nobody's <laughs> saying that. Nobody said it back then either. So I know it's just funny. Oh, it is funny, but at the same time, I'm just so relieved that uh, that this thing's worked out in such a good way. And uh, I know, I know that uh, I'm not alone. So, you know the um, the things that are going on in Tokyo. Uh, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts. I had a chance to talk to Tom Dillon last week, um, the president of the IOC, Mr. Thomas Bach. Went to Tokyo uh, for the first time uh, since about March, and um, one of the things that Tokyo 2020 is working on is a plan to have the spectators, some level of spectators there. Uh, if you listen to the conversation I had with Tom, the question now is: Is it going to be five thousand people per session, or is it going to be three thousand? Because you know, or is it going to be fewer uh, or more? Um, there's no telling right now because, you know, the, the vaccine as we speak is just getting rolled out. Hopefully that's a big success. Hopefully it lets things get back to normal sooner than later. But, you know, one thing we've learned from this whole thing is we can't anticipate what's going to happen down the road. It's, it's going to happen when it happens, but we can't really guess at it. But um, what are your feelings uh, as an athlete uh, going to the games with the reassurance, of course, that safety is going to be a paramount thing. Uh, would you rather have spectators? Uh, of course, I think I'd rather have spectators 100 um, percent than just uh, completely empty stands. And when you shoot a 10, a fake crowd noise on the speakers to make the world think <laughs> that someone's there like the football games are doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that calls uh, flat. So I think. Uh, I, I think I would like spectators. Uh, I think that, in my personal opinion, that it just open it up. I mean, we're, we could have massive amounts of protests, peaceful protests and stuff, and it doesn't seem to be an issue. Um, we have spikes. It comes in waves. It goes down. Uh, you read reports that say, you know, you can't gather at home because it spreads it but these other things don't spread it. So, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like the information just everywhere. It's all over the map. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I really don't know. Uh, I would rather it just see open up and it run completely normal. Um, I, as far as the vaccines concerned, I don't, 
I, I don't know how I feel about the vaccines. Well, let's just say I, that's a touchy subject after what you just experienced with a regular <laughs> prescription drug, right? I mean, yeah, like it, you know, not saying that they don't work or anything like that, because I, I don't know, like they say they work, all of that's all good and well. I just don't know if for someone, for me personally, I feel like if, if I feel like I'm not at risk to suffer from COVID, if I got it, that I would be okay. And someone else wants to get the vaccine. They protected themselves. I'm not a danger to them. Um, like, so I'm not sure on the vaccine, you know, when they talk about making it mandatory for people to get the vaccines to travel or to go, you know, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that yet. Like if I, if it's mandatory that I have to get a vaccine, if you know, the USOPC and the IOC can guarantee me that if anything happens to me, they will pay for everything and give me compensation, even if I get a sniffle, um, then yeah, I'd take it. But you know, you know, they won't take that guarantee. Well, yeah. uh, but you know, at the same time, they're not, the, Mr. Bach's latest comment was that he would not uh, be in favor of making it mandatory to be able to attend the games. Well, that that's nice. And I haven't heard a lot on everything yet. My, my concern right now, I guess with it all is one of the big reasons my understanding last year from even pushing the games back is one, this was all new. We didn't know what it was, but so many countries were shutting down that there wasn't a fair field of play because not everyone can train the same. And that's true. That was one of the, that was one of the comments that was made at the time. Yes. And so if you look now, currently this whole entire year, there's been a lot of places where people couldn't train normally. Um, yes. There's been a lot of things that go. I mean, if you look at the UK right now, they're pretty locked down and they yes. have been for the last, what, six weeks, seven weeks. And now apparently they have a new mutated strain. If the news is to be believed. Um, so they say, that, yes, that's, that's given them problems so if this continues into march like it did last year and we're three or four months from the games and we still have big countries that participate in the games that are locked down and shut down and athletes can't train can we have an olympics on a play, fair playing field again and are they going to cancel it because of that or are they just going to say this is going to be an odd one and we're going to do the best we can with who shows up uh, it's the latter. Is. It's the latter, Brady. At this point, <laughs> the, it, the momentum is there. They can't cancel the games. That is no longer on the table as we speak right oh, now. That's so, different. yeah, I mean, that is that has been made clear to me. Now, if you and I had had this conversation two months ago uh, and Tom Dillon were in the room, the conversation would be, will there be any spectators or not? And the answer would be absolutely no, no spectators. Now the conversation is, can we have spectators or not? It's no longer a conversation about, are we going to have the games? It's that oh, is, perfect. that is going to happen. The question now well, good. is then what kind, you know, and, and taking into account exactly what you said is a separate full issue. capacity. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be nice. I, I would personally prefer to have a big crowd there. Um, but it, you know, it, I, it would be nice if they could just, even with what they've built, if they have a little bit of time to even add or do something, even if it was a six feet apart, half capacity or whatever, and they spread people out, it would still be better than, than crickets, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you might know Shima is a big outdoor venue with a nice breeze all the time. I mean, yeah. it's going to be nice and nice and sunny and everything else. So. Let's let's think positive and, and look ahead to what could be a great Olympic Games uh, next yeah, July. I, I believe I could <laughs> if they didn't have spectators, I could just see us as archers being the goofballs that we are, like creating our own sound noises. And oh yeah, you know, we'll have two people on the field and we'll be like, Yeah, good job. You know, it would be, <laughs> be quite funny, I think. <laughs> well, you know we hopefully we get a crowd to interact with. I, I will tell you the loudest, one of the loudest 
archer groups I ever dealt with was when I was announcing at a university championship in Japan. So all we need is about 20 Japanese university students there. They'll take over the job of about 2,000 regular spectators. I guarantee it. Perfect. Let's bring them. <laughs> I, I, I jest only a little. It's amazing <laughs> how loud they can get, though. That's so, awesome. It I, is I'm, awesome. I'm it's so going excited to be awesome. for this. Um, I think well, Japan is going to be uh, an amazing place to have the games going there last year. Uh, I had never, like, I had gone to Japan once before, but being there for the test event and being able to spend more time there and just kind of seeing everything, I, I am so excited for what I believe that they're going to be able to do with these these games. And even through COVID, I think that they, it gave them another year to maybe make things even more spectacular. Well, and, I remember I remember hanging out with you in 2012 at the. Um, World Cup final in Tokyo. Yeah. And and we talked a little bit about, you know, how, how much fun it would be to come back to Japan and, and shoot again. And I also remember at the time, I mean, we had no idea Tokyo was going to be a venue for, for 2020 at that time. But, um, you know, when you were there at the test event last year and I talked to you a little bit, uh, you remember what I said to you as you were about to step up to get your medal um, I, I'm just going to be a year late with my prediction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be loud and I'm, I'm, I'm ready. So ready. I, I think that's a great way to finish up our conversation. Brady, Brady is ready, ladies and gentlemen, and we are ready to see him back in action outdoors again, uh, in, 2021 which i sure hope is going to be a better year so uh brady i just want to thank you again for your candor your bravery in uh deciding to go ahead and talk about this situation you didn't have to do it you chose to do it because you know that it's going to help a lot of people and uh i just want to say i'm proud to be your friend and i'm proud of you representing the united states of america thank you brady ellison thank you <laughs>